can I just express my thanks to your rector for the invite to be back with you here at All Saints. And the last time I was here was obviously pre-COVID. Most of our lives now, as you know, develop into either pre-COVID and post-COVID. That seems to be a calendar that many of us use. I want to take a few moments today to look at Abraham. And it's interesting, if you go into any Christian bookstore, invariably, you will find books on how to be a successful business person in seven steps, or how to achieve the perfect spiritual life in seven steps. Abraham would not fit into any of those books. Because the writer here in Genesis that we read earlier stretches our imagination to ask the question, what was it like for Abraham to lunch out from the safety of his homeland to go to the uncertainty of the unknown? Anyone here seen the movie Under the Tuscan Sun? There must be a few Okay, at least one person, two, three. Well, okay, there's a lot more. Okay, well, watch it if you haven't. So here's the story. A young woman from California goes through a pretty painful divorce. And to escape California, she goes on a bus tour with a number of gay men. It's entitled Gay and Away. She's the only woman on the tour, and she spies this villa in Tuscany. And the renovation of that is part of her healing, having gone through the painful divorce. And many evenings she walks down into the village, uh, meets this English lady who invariably is quite inebriated, having drunk too much Italian wine. But the more wine she drinks, the more philosophical she gets. And in giving this young woman advice, she said, life is a series of a thousand chances. You only have to take one. Life is a series of a thousand chances. You only have to take one. Look at Abraham's life. He took that one risk or that one chance, having heard the word of the Lord saying to him to go. And very graphically, the text just simply says, he went. He continued to journey. But as the writer there to the Hebrew says categorically that God was not ashamed to be called his God. And really in reality, as I look at Abraham's life, it actually necessitates what I call a reckless willingness to adventure. I think Abraham would say today to us who sit in all saints, save us from boring institutional religion. And so I want to ask folk at all saints, is your faith life one of adventure? Jonathan Sachs, the Jewish theologian describing Abraham, said this. Abraham is the paradigm of a non-heroic hero. One who does what is right because it is right and not for the sake of popularity or fame. And Sachs suggests if we were to define Judaism in Abrahamic terms, it would be the heroism of the ordinary life. 
being willing to live by one's convictions, though all the world thinks otherwise, being true to the call of eternity, not the call of now. It's a very profound phrase, that, isn't it? Being true to the call of eternity, not the call of now. And I think if Abraham was here today, or even in my context with the chaos of Brexit and the chaos of American politics, I think Abraham would say to us at All Saints, Gary, remember, politics is temporal. The gospel is eternal. And yet so many of us within people of faith almost assume politics are eternal and the gospel is temporal. But Abraham was a person, as I've highlighted there in that quotation, was true to the call of eternity, not the noise of noise. Abraham has come to symbolize so many things to us, his descendants, but the thing I think it towers above everything else is that he was a person of faith. And he went in his journey by himself. And highlighting Sachs again, he says to us, 21st century mortals, to be a child of Abraham is to have the courage to be different to challenge the idols of the age. Whatever the idols of the age are, in an era of polytheism, it meant seeing the universe as a product of a single creative will, therefore not meaningless but coherent. In an era of slavery, it meant refusing to accept the status quo in the name of God, but instead challenging it in the name of God. And when power was worshipped as it is today, it meant constructing a society that cared for the powerless, the widow, and the strangers. And during centuries in which humankind was sunk in ignorance, it meant honoring education as the key to human dignity and creating schools to provide universal literacy. And when war was a test of manhood, It meant striving for peace. And in ages of radical individualism like today, it means knowing that we are not what we own, but what we share. Not what we buy, but what we give. And realizing that there's something higher than simply appetite and desire, namely a call that comes to us like Abraham, from outside ourselves, summoning us to make a difference in the world. Four things very briefly I see in Abraham's life. I see, firstly, expectations. I mean, all Abraham had was this mysterious feeling that God wanted him to come to Canaan. It was as blurry as that. And then comes this moment of truth when God was real. As for you, you will keep my covenant. And Abraham simply moved from just being a wanderer to a person with a purpose. God took those 
purely personal pronouns and said, I will make a covenant with you. You will keep the covenant. You will teach it to your children, and I will be your God. And folk and all saints, we need to realize that those privileges and those obligations go hand in hand. And when God says to you and to me, as for you, when he does, we need to answer. So we see those expectations. We also see something in Abraham's life that you'll not find in that slick book in the Christian bookstore, uh, Seven Keys to Spiritual Success. You find numerous imperfections. Because Abraham failed to keep us part of the covenant. And we learn that God doesn't demand us to be perfect before he can use us to work for him. God very simply takes Abraham where he was, mixed up, wavering back and forward between faith and doubt, slowly moving him forward. He asks questions. God, how am I to know? I mean, it just simply reeks of doubt. We all know Abraham's story and his blind spots, his lying, his bribery. And we discover in Abraham's life that perfection is not a requirement for God to deal with us. How does the church deal with failure in the 21st century? The Bible, as I look at it, is a panorama of failure. Noah builds an ark for 120 years despite the taunts and the jeers of his townspeople. We all know he imbibed so freely of the fermented fruit that he ends up lying naked in his tent. Moses. We hand up Moses. We stand up Moses as this person called Superman. He flees from Egypt to Midian. He lives there for the next 40 years. And I can guarantee you, if Simon and I were in the same clergy fellowship, drinking coffee in Atlanta, we would be saying, the Reverend Moses has screwed up his career. 40 years he's been in a wasteland. But what happens? God again does the personal pronoun thing at the burning bush, and he recommissions him at 80 years of age for a task that still lies ahead. Jacob deceives his blind father. Married, he despises his wife Leah. He nurses a secret love for her sister Rachel. Here is a person caught in trickery, theft, unfaithfulness, polygamy. And yet we still worship today the God of Abraham, Isaac, and yes, Jacob. Abraham, the father of nations, lived a lie using his wife as a pawn to save his own skin. He almost turns his wife into an adulteress. I mean, Paul, let's be honest, at times was impatient, harsh with his convicts or his converts who wouldn't associate or live up to his ascetic lifestyle. I mean, Solomon, for all his wisdom, did some of the most foolish things ever recorded. Jonah, a classic bigot, wanted to see an entire city burn to justify his prophecies against it. 
He despises the mercy of God towards a repentant people. Peter is denial of Christ. But after the resurrection, as you and I know, Jesus appears to Peter on a lonely beach and asks him the question, do you love me? And asks him then to feed his sheep. We all need to hear this today, that Jesus is not fixated on perfect performance. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is not fixated on perfect performance. The Bible is very graphic and very honest in relation to those imperfections. And Abraham learned what we all must learn. There are no shortcuts to maturity. How can I know God? How can I be sure? The answer is, you can't. But God can be sure, and you must live your life of faith through him. So we see those expectations. We see those imperfections. And we also see acceptance. The story most of us remember in relation to Abraham is the whole concept of sacrifice and a son, Isaac. And I define this as Abraham facing a situation that every single person in worship has faced today. What do I do with God when life doesn't make sense? We've all been there. And Abraham is faced with a situation when life simply doesn't make sense. Because Abraham knew the whole plan depends on Isaac. My descendants will come through Isaac. Isaac's not here. The plan collapses. Take your son, your only son Isaac. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. None of us have any trouble in identifying with Abraham here. Because into all our lives comes those situations where life just doesn't make sense. The writer Philip Yancey, as many of you know, a number of years ago, wrote this book entitled Disappointment with God. And then he asks three questions. Is God unfair? Is God hidden? Is God silent? Questions we all have asked. Internally, if not externally, I most certainly have asked them and asked them often. And during the writing of that book, Philip Yancey interviews this guy called Doug in a cafe in Chicago. And Yancey asks him the question, Doug, have you ever really been disappointed with God? And Doug tells his story. He was a medical doctor. His wife was a clinical psychiatrist. And they gave up pretty lucrative careers to go and work in a zone in downtown Chicago that was pretty messy, to say the least. A few months after that, his wife discovered a lump on her breast. And she was diagnosed as being terminally ill with breast cancer. A matter of weeks after that, Doug was driving down a road 
with his 12-year-old daughter when a drunken driver veered across and hit the vehicle. His daughter ended up badly lacerated and Doug ended up with triple vision. Going down three steps to him looked like six steps. Reading a book that he adored and loved, one line looked like three lines. And so Yancey pushed him and said, Doug, you must struggle with God. Here's what he said. He said, Philip, life's unfair, but God isn't. Don't confuse life with God. Life's unfair, but God isn't. Don't confuse life with God. And even Abraham here, as we see in the text, when life made no sense, he still had that willingness to obey God. And let me say that this story is more than an attempt to explain why the Hebrew faith alone in the ancient world rejected child sacrifice. It's a symbol of holy ground, a place where radical obedience to God and deep religious faith was implemented. And one writer puts it like this. He says, some of the best things in life are totally unplanned and unscripted. He says, I'm not a movie critic, but in my humble entertainment estimation... The greatest movies have the highest levels of uncertainty. Whether the uncertainty is romantic or dramatic, scripts with the highest level of uncertainty make the best movies. And he suggests in the same vein, I think, high levels of uncertainty make the best lives. So let me suggest that faith is embracing the uncertainties of life. It's recognizing a divine appointment when you see it. So embrace relational uncertainty. It's called romance. Embrace spiritual uncertainty. It's called mystery. Embrace occupational uncertainty. It's called destiny. Embrace intellectual uncertainty. It's called revelation. The final thing I see in Abraham's life is resolve. Because we come to a stage in Abraham's life that most likely most people in this building, unless God eschatologically decides to wind up this planet in the next 100 years, will face. We find Abraham on his deathbed. And the burning issue in his mind was the covenant God made with him. And when he was ready to die, Abraham wanted to see Isaac with a wife, that that promise of all those descendants would happen. He calls in his trusted servant, instructs him to return to Haran, but he gave him a clear warning. See to it that you do not take my son there. And for emphasis, he repeats it again. And see to it you do not take my son there. It's incredible, isn't it, that Abraham remains this stance, this strong stance about his homeland. Abraham wasn't homesick for the past. And one of our problems today is many times we turn back too soon. But Abraham says, you don't go back. Under no circumstances are you to take Isaac back to Haran. 
Because life to Abraham was not back there. The vision was leading in a different direction. And to you folk at All Saints, great a history that this church has. Your future does not lie back there. Because the vision needs to be followed by the venture for you as a church in the city of Atlanta. So there's another lesson for us at All Saints. We have to put the past in proper perspective. It's an inescapable part of your life and my life. We learn as much from it as we can, but the past is meant to be learned from, not lived in. The vision for this church lies ahead, and you need to grapple it and use Abraham's life as a template with his expectations, with its imperfections, to realize that as a church In the 21st century, you have a calling, you have a vision to shape this city, to make it part of the kingdom of the living God. Amen. So we just take a moment of quiet reflection. Something I said may have responded to you, and you may just want to wrestle with God as you wrestle with the perplexity of faith. So let's be quiet for a moment. Eternal God, hear our cries, our doubts, our fears, our misunderstandings, in Jesus' name.